Hi, I'm Keisha Pettit and this is Not An Overnight Success brought to you by Shuren Partners Financial Services. In this podcast, our host Gus Wallen sits down with some very successful people from the world of business, entertainment and sport and they chat about their life's journey and what got them to the position that they're in today. In today's episode, we are chatting with Shani Williams. Shani was a shy kid from the town of Batlow, a place with a population of just 1,300 people and she's gone on to become one of Australia's most recognisable women's rugby players. She has played in three Rugby World Cups. She's won a gold medal. And trust me, you will not believe the story of where she keeps it right now. She's also won a Commonwealth Games silver medal. She's captained teams through tremendous challenges to great successes. In this chat, Gus and Shani talk about her path to becoming a professional athlete and how that has evolved over the course of her career. They talk about pride in sport and the importance of visibility. Shani and Gus are great mates. You will absolutely be able to hear that throughout this chat. Shani's the kind of person that you leave the presence of her and you just feel like you could go and kick goals for the rest of the day. As for all of these podcasts, Shore and Partners have generously donated $10,000 to the charity of choice of each of our guests. We discuss who that money goes to in this chat. This podcast is produced by me, Keisha Pettit, and hosted by Gus Warland with production assistance from Kelly Stubbs and Brittany Hughes. Let's get into our chat with Shani Williams. Shani, g'day. Hey, mate. How are you? It's good to see you. It's awesome to see you. What were you like as a kid and where did you grow up? Give us your sort of <laughs> family background. As a kid, I was probably yeah, pretty energetic. I wanted to play any sport that I possibly could. Grew up in Batlow, very small country town, uh, famous for apples. And so I'm told Charney Williams now. So yeah. uh, <laughs> that's pretty nice. 1,500 people, so quite small. And I guess I had to travel quite a lot for sport because there wasn't a lot of sport around and just sort of playing with the boys, playing cricket and touch footy and yeah, just I was a pretty shy, quiet kid, just that country grounded, country air that kind of got to me. I think as I uh, got older, I definitely, you know, not as shy anymore, so that's that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely a big personality and a big character, so that is something that's come with confidence as you've grown into yourself? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's everybody too, right? Like if you allow yourself to be who you want to be, uh, I think you can be that vibrant, bubbly person if you want to be, but it's not for everyone. As I said, I'm comfortable with myself and proud of to be who I am. Mm. Now you might hear some, some uh, we've got the dogs at our feet. So if you hear any sort of, you know, claws or nails on ground, that's us because we're just doing this one because Yanni... You and I, mates, just at my house. So just for all all listeners. It's Um, not me scratching, trying to get away from the podcast. Like, let me (laughs) out of here. We're we're all good. (laughs) So how many people in your family? And like you say, were you close to them? Are you a close-knit family? Yeah, so there's there's four of us. So mum and dad, hard workers. I think I got my work ethic from them. Mum's a banker and my dad drives trucks. So that's where the mechanic side of me came from. Uh, and then my sister, good with academics, so she was a singer and quite good with her math skills and things like that, and then turned into a hairdresser. So she's actually just opened her own salon, which mm. is a massive high achievement for her. When we were growing up, we are probably kind of close, and I guess as I got older, I've started to drift away a little bit from them, and that's just, I think, you know, once you get into your own family and have your own you know, you become an adult, you, your life views and beliefs and all those things evolve. And I guess from being in a small country town, you know, I love that country town, I love Batlow, but you had to expand and, you know, I've travelled the world. I've seen so many things. I've seen so many different cultures. I've seen the way people behave differently and and sometimes that doesn't align with your family because your family just sort of stays with who they are and what they believe in and they expect you to you know, jump in line and this is what we were grown up to be, this is what our family's supposed to be. And when you don't fit that mould anymore, it's kind of like, well, you don't really belong in that family. But that's not how it should be. It mm. should be, oh, we're very proud of who you've become, where you're going and what you believe in and you know, you're still shiny but you're just lived more life than what we have yeah and, and and that's just your experiences right like you're really good at footy so you've traveled the world played for australia won a gold medal we'll get to all that <laughs> so for me having three kids myself i would just be like i want to learn from them mm. you know like they've gone past me and i want to learn and you never stop learning yeah for sure and that's like the attitude that you would hope to adapt but i think it's that control right so it's it's having that control over who i am what my achievements are and that you know, we got you there. 
And it's like, well, you didn't get me to the gold medal. Yes, you, as a kid, you tripped me around all over the place and I'm so grateful for that. But the hard-earned work, the sweat, tears, every day getting up going, I'm you know, putting my best foot forward to be the best Australian rugby player I can be, they didn't do that. At what stage, Shani, were you in Batlow going, okay, I want to try to make sport my life. I want to earn a living. I want to be a gold medalist. Was that a dream from a young age? Yeah, I don't think I ever thought that I would be able to make a living. You know, that's that's the beauty of where we have come. And the, the proud part that I do have about rugby is that we've taken those stepping stones to be then become professional. I do remember I was an eight-year-old kid that wanted to be an Olympian. And people look at me and go, man, that's crazy. Like, how do you know that? And I was like, well, I was standing in the living room of my auntie's house and it was the first time I'd been given a pair of joggers, brand new pair. You know, I'd had hand-me-downs from my cousins and things like that and I'd made the cross-country team to be able to go to Sydney. And that's huge for a country kid, right? So I was racing against nine-year-olds, you know, come 54th or something <laughs> like that, which I didn't mind, but that was an achievement for me, right? And as I got on and kept performing and kept playing sport, it was 2000 when I saw Alison Ennen, my, my idol in Hockey Roos, and she's standing up on that podium with a gold medal. And that's where I went, wow, I, I could be a gold medalist here. I could go to the Olympics. Even though I was eight when I first wanted to go to the Olympics, it, was, it became more real after playing hockey and then seeing it. And that's what this is about, is that visibility. And that's mm. what I'm huge on, is being visible for other people to be able to recognise what they're capable of. Because if you don't see it, you can't believe it. Yeah. yeah. So what made you go rugby, not hockey, or another sport? Yeah, it was so strange is because, as I said at the start, I played so many different sports and touch footy was pretty big in Wagga, so I played a bit of that and that was like around 16 and I had to try and choose between touch and hockey. I think I sort of looked at it and went, well, touch football's not in the Olympics, but hockey is. And so, you know, to be able to be talented, to be able to choose between the two was, you know, probably a moment where I went, well, okay, am I going to make the right decision? And Yeah, I chose hockey and... You know, got a scholarship to go to ACT, so 17 years old. I move away from Batlow into Canberra. Uh, never, ever seen, you know, traffic lights before. We don't have any traffic lights. We have two stop signs in Batlow and that's it. And the town of roundabouts. Like, yeah. you, you go to Canberra and there's just roundabout after roundabout, so you could get quite dizzy being there. But, um, <laughs> you know... Like, as I said, like playing hockey for quite some time and then a friend that I was working at Sportsman's Warehouse at the time just sort of said, come watch rugby. And I went, oh, that's pretty brutal, <laughs> you know. Went and watched it and I went, holy heck, this is a sport for me. These chicks are smashing each other. Like, I want to be around that. You know, it had a bit of built-up anger as a kid and I'd always been a bit of a tomboy and stuff, like around my dad and, you know, my dad's my idol. So I was like, yep. He'd always played league and I'd wanted to go play it. So 2008, I started playing and I made my first Australian team straight away. Like, <laughs> just you can't count your cards any any better than that. Like, just to be able to go play for ACT and get a touch on the shoulder and go, oh, you're pretty good, we'll take you for the Wallaroo camp. And you make the Wallaroo camp and your first test matches is, you know, four months later against the New Zealand in Canberra. Wow. <laughs> so... Hockey then goes out of the system. You're like, okay, I'm not going to be a hockey wrong and I'm going to play rugby. Yeah. Is that an Olympic sport at that stage? Or? No. Okay. So what does that mean? Your Olympic dream in your mind is over, but you love rugby. So you're going to give it a crack. Yeah, well, I, I guess I saw some World Cups. I saw that the Wallabies played World Cups and I thought, well, surely the women get to play World Cups and stuff as well. And I dabbled with hockey and rugby for quite some time because it was like Saturday rugby and then hockey on Sunday and it was brutal, you know, like, as well as partying as well. Like I was a kid that was going out. So, you know, I'd just come from Butler and I'd never been to a nightclub. So, yeah, for the fact that, you know, rugby's ended up where it is, that was 2009 when it actually got accepted into the Olympics. So that's quite some time. Mm. You know, played one test in 2008 for the Wallaroos, which is 15s, and then those girls, it was quite a different game back then. It was more bigger bodies, and they were just sort of trucking it up and, and smash fest, where now it's a, 
a lot more skillful and faster and a bit more intelligent, I guess you would say. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked about the mechanic side of things and your dad being a hero growing up and being a tomboy and so forth. I suppose you're sitting there going, well, if things don't work out, I can become a mechanic. Like you did do training around that and stuff. That was another, not dream, but I suppose that was another avenue for you to look at your future. Yeah, well, I guess you got to think about life balance too, right? Is that if you get injured or rugby doesn't work out or the sport doesn't work out, then you've got to have something to fall back on. And, you know, that was probably one of the proudest moments my dad had when I said, oh, I'm going to go be a mechanic. I finished my qualification in 2012 for Toyota. So specialised in the Toyota side of things, helped out with the diesel. So just started doing a lot of diesel injection replacements and it was such an amazing time. Like, you know, you had these boys just going, who's this chick? I'm like, all right, step aside. <laughs> you know, I, I then became one of the best workers, you know. I talk about that work ethic and that's what you need. That's one of those values that I have. And so it was like, how many cars can I beat the, the next boy? You make it into a competition and you get all these little Yarises coming in. You're like, beauty, like that'll take me, you know, 20 seconds to get all this stuff done. And just efficiency. So it was, it's a good trade to have, like in my back pocket. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've serviced a number of the girls' cars. I've, <laughs> you know, had to go and help survive them. They've, you know, jumpstart their cars or teach them even where the oil is to check. And, you know, one girl's just recently had no coolant in her car. And I was like, mate, you cannot drive this. Like, <laughs> so it's come in handy with the rugby side of things as well. You're the team mechanic. <laughs> yeah. As much as everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Shani, you're in Canberra, you're trying to work out who you are, you're partying, you're playing for Australia, you're doing your, your mechanic stuff as well. What about your personal stuff? You know, you're, you're openly gay, you're very proud of that. At what stage did you go, okay, it's girls for me? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question because you say that I was openly gay, but I actually wasn't in Canberra. Okay. It's taken me quite some time to understand who I am and that it's okay to be that way. You know, my first girlfriend, you know, I'd been with her for six years. We were engaged and then I come back from a World Cup and we, we break up. So for her as well, it was probably going to be quite hard for her because she was quite open and I was quite closed off. So I couldn't walk down the street and hold her hand. Like I wasn't committing enough. Like I look back on it now and I wasn't committing enough to her. I wasn't that good person in the relationship because it was like, oh, I'm ashamed and to be in a relationship when you're ashamed is, is really hard. You know, you're hiding it from everybody. I was hiding it from my parents for quite some time so they didn't know how they would react. And you're just sort of dealing with, with that, that space. And that's why I think right now that, that I'm so proud of who I am and what I've been able to get through is such a big thing for me. And why I share it so much is because from where I was to where I am now, in my relationship with Mel, who is the most amazing, beautiful person, you know, we're engaged as well. It's two kids that we've taken on board, so we've been together for five years now, and you know, we've almost got a 21 year old on Friday and then an 18 year old, so we've had to navigate through quite a lot. But I don't think I would have been able to do that if I wasn't out and open. And I think that just became because of society as well. You know, the yes vote was huge. It was a massive stepping stone for me to be able to go, well, hold on, people are voting yes. There's that visibility piece again, you know. Okay, there are people out in the world that actually accept me for who I am. I think that was just that was huge for me to, to be able to do that. And I'm in a really great place now, but everybody goes through things. And I think, yeah, it's it's definitely society in the picture that we, we paint for ourselves. Um, just, I said openly because you are so open now and I love that about you, that you are changing people's lives because people listen to you and go, okay, Shani's won a gold medal, she's rugby player, she says it's all right. People have said that to me. They've looked, heard you and gone, I'm coming out because of her. You know, you're literally changing lives and it's an important person to be in someone's life when you do that. Do you realise that? Do people come up to you and tell you? Uh, I guess sometimes, but you just don't – you don't know the ripple effect, right? You don't understand that until someone does give you that feedback. But that's not what I'm doing it for. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm just trying to be me. And, 
you know, as I said, that visibility piece is huge. And if that ripple effect helps people, then I'm happy for that. That's awesome. So let's talk about Mel just for a moment because you said she had two children. So she made a change in her life as well after being with a man. I've known you guys for years and you're just awesome together. It's pretty obvious that it's it's absolute love. What was that like for her, you negotiating with her with the fact that she had been with a bloke? Yeah, I guess it was, you know, she, she was out to get me. I had no eyes for her. So, yeah, she saw me walk through the doors at one of our friends' house and went, oh, I'm in trouble, <laughs> you know. <laughs> because she was sort of trying to work it out herself. Yeah, well, she was, she was trying to figure out what she wanted next, you know. Just in a marriage for 20 years, you know, that's a long time. And it's that piece that we talk about is trying to figure out who we are because we've always been that person, but we're actually able to evolve and it's okay to evolve. So, yeah, for her, her to evolve and do that, and we just hit it off. Like, we were just chatty we were friends we did things together and we never thought that we would go to where it is now and it's so beautiful that it has she's so creative I love her to pieces she knows that you know that yeah. <laughs> as I said but I don't think I had to help navigate for her she was all in like I don't know what it is. It must be my charm or something. But, um, <laughs> she told she me was, your arms. Yeah, well, really true, <laughs> true. They were a little bit of a factor there. <laughs> but that's my protection mode, you know. I always think I have to be protecting people, so that's why I work really hard in the gym, you know. We didn't really have to navigate things. Things just clicked and things just evolved the way they did. It's a relationship that I've always wanted. You know, I've been brought up in a family where – there's been, you know, violence and arguing and yelling and I've always thought that that's what family was. And until adventuring out, it's like, well, that's you don't have to be that way. It's meant to be a loving place. Like you get to choose who you want to be with for the rest of your life. You don't get to choose your family. Mm. You have to put up with your family and you have to love them. <laughs> yeah. But you don't actually get to choose who they are and, and to be able to choose your life partner is one of the the most amazing things in life and you need to be able to make sure that you choose that right and you might not get it right but that's okay you just make sure that you keep moving forward and know who you are because that then makes means that you'll know what you want so shani let's go back a little bit you're in canberra and you play a test match and then all of a sudden sevens is in the olympics so what shifts in your brain and what happens then for you to have your olympic dream Yes, yeah, so I think like Cheryl Soon was the captain of the Wallaroos at the time. They went away to a World Cup in Dubai. Um, I was just fresh straight into it. So I'd done a little bit of training with them and then they went off and won the first ever World Cup. And that's where it started. You know, for, for women's rugby, it was huge. You know, that they had never beaten New Zealand. They went to the qualifiers in Samoa and they beat them twice. And these girls have then started to get confidence, right? Shawnee Mackay, his Brumbies boy, unfortunately was killed over in um, South Africa on a uh, Brumbies tour and we dedicate our medal to him every year. He was the coach at the time and amazing, amazing coach, um, very gifted and the girls loved him to pieces. So for them to then go over to the, the World Cup and, and win for him was a very special moment, you know. And then 2010 and Cheryl Soon's been asked to be the representative for women's rugby and for sevens rugby to put the bid in for the Olympics, for 2016 Olympics. Hoping that she would be there, it was, she was close. <laughs> but for an Australian and for a, a women's rugby player to go and, and advocate for, for rugby and for the Olympics was a, a massive achievement. And you know she's just been inducted into the Hall of Fame and I think that's where I, you know, I know that story, right? So that gives me goosebumps when I think about that story because it's like, well, that was the start for me. And I invested myself and my time into those moments and heard them. And it was like, that's what rugby sort of gave me over hockey did was that community feel and that understanding that we're here for each other. Because really, when you go out on that field, you're going to war. Like you're battling for each other. Like you're putting your body on the line, brutal, smashing each other. And you don't get that in any other sport. So I think that's what I loved about it so much, which made me go, you know what, I will die for this cause. Like what I get out of this is is nothing I can ever replace right now. And I want to go to the Olympics and I'm driven and 
my purpose is to be the best rugby player I can be, then I'm going to go and do that. Wow. <laughs> okay. So we know what happens in Rio, and we'll get to that in a moment, <laughs> but how many times in that journey, in those years leading up, did you go, I'm in the team, I'm not in the team? Like, were you always secure? Like, what's it like when you've got such a dream and you've got so much on the line, injuries, all that stuff? Like, give us a, a bit of a snapshot of that couple of years in the lead up to the announcement of the team in Rio. Yeah, I guess uh, quite a lot went on because I obviously started playing and then 2012 I become captain. And you go, whoa, this little country kid that's really shy is now captaining their country. What do I do here? You know, like, why, do you why think, did why you do pick you think, me? Yeah, why did they pick you? Yeah. What do you reckon? I guess I just led by example, right? That's how I always lead is by example. I don't have to speak too much. If I have to speak, then you know that something's up. But if I um, lead by example, then people just follow, right? So that's what I was doing and that's pretty much the reason why I got it and I went okay well that's pretty easy that's easy to captain cool and then I guess leading into that it then became 2014 and we had moved to Narrabeen we've become professional so that's huge and we got government funding from the AIS does that mean you can actually play the game and not have to get another job like they paid you well enough for that to happen yeah so I mean 2014 uh, 2013 I moved up to Brisbane thinking that that's where they were going to centralise it and got a job with Toyota up there and so then I was working and training and you know like it looked the days were huge like 5am start for gym and then you go to work on cars and your hands above your head all day and then you'd go do your ACT training you'd go do your club training and then you'd have to do your Wallaroos training as on top of that and you wouldn't be getting home till 10 o'clock at night so they were huge days too. So for the fact that we could become professional in 2014 and solely focus on being footy players was was unbelievable, and especially for women too, right? Like there wasn't, there's no data out on women being professional players in any sport. So it was like, okay, well, what does that look like? How far can we push these women? What injuries are we going to get? What do they look like in the gym? What are their movements? There's there's nothing out there for any of these coaches to go off. So we're just sort of like all these little guinea pigs running around going, all right, yep, I'm broken. I'm I'm not. I'm good. So 2015, I tear the patella femoral ligament off the bone. So dislocate my kneecap. That doesn't sound like fun. No. So get my first ever surgery. Mel and I have just started dating. She's the absolute gem for me. So that's where, where all this starts for us in our journey. Not nice to be able to, you know, try and wee with your leg that's in a brace nice and straight. So that uh, that developed a very close friendship straight away. <laughs> but then that's that's also the mental battle for me, right? So I've never had an injury before, never had surgery before. I go back to this little country kid that's shy because I'm like well what do I do do I stick my heels in and go I can do this or do I you know have a tanny and go nuts too much but there's an Olympic Games hanging there 2016 one year away but I'm going to miss all of 2015 so I plan to do little things every single day and my biggest goal that I achieved was getting a full cycle rotation on a bike just to try and get my knee to turn over. And that was that was one of the best days I had, had experienced through that whole rehab. And as I said, there was no data out there. So how do we you know move forward in this rehab world? Plus captaining, right? So I've been captaining since 2012, right up to 2015 on my own. Because I'm injured, we then go to co-captaincy. So now I have to share this captaincy with another girl. Lucky we're called the Bash Brothers because we're the ones that go out there and create havoc on the field. So we've got a very close bond, me and Shannon. So you're okay with it? Well, at the at the start, but definitely not. You know, like you're you're dealing with injury, right? And you feel like you've already been demoted. Like you're not getting to play. And then you're not being around the girls. You feel very isolated. You're like, where's my purpose now? Like my purpose here is to be the best rugby player I can be. And now I can't play rugby. So what does that look like? Where's my life balance? Because I've just moved to Sydney. I haven't got a job. My sole job is to be footy player. There's so many things that you had to go through. So then I get through that, right? To be able to then get rid of those demons, get rid of that little country kid that's, you know, reared its head to go, hey, you can't do this. Mm. To then 
oh, my God, you actually got through this. You did it. I play the last World Series in 2015 and then we head off to the Olympics in August. And when you go off to Rio, how exciting to be in Rio initially. <laughs> like, you know, that's pretty cool. If you're not, Unless you're in your home city for the crowd, it'd be awesome to be in Rio. Where are you sort of ranked in the world? Where do you think, you know, you're going to, you know, going to be a gold medalist on the dais? Like, what was the expectation? Yeah, well, as I said, like, I missed that first preparation that whole season. We ranked number one, though, right? So we were able to secure that in France, which was which unreal. But then you hunted. And everyone thought that we would be under pressure. Not being cocky, but just going, we're going to win gold. You know, I remember Mark Beretta came out and interviewed me. And he goes, oh, where are you guys going to play? So I said, we're going to play. We're going to win gold. He went, oh. I went, yeah, we're going to win gold. And he goes, well, you're adamant about that, aren't you? I said, yeah, well, our whole team is adamant because we are driving for that gold medal. We've just become professional athletes and we're going to show Australia that women need to be pro- professional athletes because when we win this gold, it's going to change the world. I but we didn't it. know how far it would change. It was huge. <laughs> so you go to Rio. What's the whole thing like, like getting your – Getting your gear, getting on the plane, mm. you know, being around other athletes. And what, what's it like in Rio in, in the village, the Olympic village? It's like no other. You go to these World Series and it's just rugby, right? Now you've got multi-sports. You've got people that like Rafael Nadal's there, Serena Williams. Like you're walking into these like um, lunch rooms and you're going, wow, all the, I see these guys on TV. <laughs> like this is nuts. You know, Usain Bolt's just down the road from me. Like, all those things were, were, were pretty cool. But getting the kit, like, man, that was unbelievable. Yeah, you look at our kangaroo and emu and we always talk about that coat of arms of the kangaroo never taking a backward step. So you're always moving forward. Yeah, really cool. Just quickly interrupting the episode to say a very big thank you to the sponsor of this podcast and that is Shaw & Partners Financial Services. Sure and Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice. With seven offices across Australia, Sure and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. For more info, you can check out their website at sureandpartners.com.au. That's S-H-A-W for sure. Sure and Partners Financial Services, your partners in building and preserving wealth. Now let's get back into the episode. You arrive in Rio. Is Rio everything you want? Can you go and have a look around or are you just absolutely focused on the on, on the job at hand? For this first Olympics it was just you have to be you have to be focused. Right. We had Tim Walsh, our coach, who was very structured. So he had our standards and he had our beliefs and he had what our plan was and that we needed to cross the T's and tick the I's and that's that's how it was. And you just formed in line because that's what the job was there to go and win gold it wasn't to go and party or look at things or you know yes enjoy it enjoy the hard work was was our main cause but the hard work hasn't happened yet so we can't just enjoy it we made a decision like we could have gone to the opening ceremony but we made that decision not to go because you're just going to be on feet too too much and none of the girls kicked up a stink it was awesome. None of them were like, oh, well, this is our first Olympics. We need to go. So, yeah, and just making that decision made you just feel as a team too. Like you look around and you go, yeah, everyone's here for the right reasons. That's definitely why we won gold. But to win gold, even with all those things, is a really difficult thing. You've got the Kiwis, you've got a lot of good teams, the Pommies, the Fijians and so forth. So once you win the semi-final, you know you've won a medal. Is that is that right? Yeah, but so- it's gold. Or silver. No, it's gold. Yeah. <laughs> and it's against bloody Kiwis. It's it's not any other colour, Gussie. Gold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's hanging up on the crossbar. Right. And we're defending it. That's yeah. what our coach should have always said to us. Right. Defend that gold medal. It's on that crossbar. I love that. Mm, powerful, hey. Sure is. If the opposition goes underneath it and scores, they're going to nick it off you. Yeah, so you have to regroup and go again. Because that's how brutal sevens is, right? If you can't get the ball back... You're in trouble. So you've got to figure out how you're going to do it. Without giving away a penalty with those pesty referees. Yeah, well, <laughs> got to love the referees. There'd be no game without them, mate. Okay, mate. <laughs> Nicely said. Nice political answer. Okay, so let's get to the final. Let's focus on that. So you play against the Kiwis for the gold medal. I remember watching it here. And, like it was one of those, like, you know, 
it was one of those sports for me that I just love sevens. I understand it. I get it. And I'm just like, we're going to win gold today. What was it like playing in that gold medal match? Well, the lead up to it. This is where the lead up that you can't control. And I talk about the universe because there was an injury time in the game before. And so we're ready. We've warmed up. And then we've got the call that it's going to be delayed. So we've gone, okay, we'll go back to our sheds. And so Walshy, when he selected teams, would do certain things. We've even been in like Devitt's meat room <laughs> once before because he's gone fire and ice. Oh. You know, like so fire in the belly, you know, to get you going. And then ice, we chucked us in a cool room. So the fire was the candle. And then chucked us in the Devitt's cool room as part of. If people don't ice. know, Devitt's is the local butcher. <laughs> there you go. Here in here in Narrabeen, Collaroy, which is an awesome establishment, by the way. Excellent sausages. Yes, oh, amazing meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not sponsored either. Yeah. No, no plug here. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so he had this candle, and it was called Rio. So he would light that candle with every team that he would announce. And so we went back into the room, and he had the candle lit, and it was dark. And the candle's just in the middle. And so we all sat down and just had a moment sort of looking around. And I'm sure there were some thoughts going on. And I was just looking, you know, smiling at everybody because I believed in every single person in that room. And I went, we're going to win gold today. We're going to do this. Sean Horan was the, the coach for New Zealand. And he had written an article saying that, you know, Australian are soft and, you know, they can't tackle. They're going to miss tackle. So... That's going to fire us up, right? So That's we we silly had, of him. We had that sitting up on the wall and, you know, every girl would go and look at it and read it before we'd go out. And, yeah, then it came to the game time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about the game. It's kind of a bit of a whirlwind because it was – we just started scoring these tries. I remember Charlotte just sort of running at their captain, Gossie. Well, she wasn't captain at the time, but she's captain now. And just ran over the line. And it was like, whoa, they're not really fronting up here. So the first half, we sort of got it all. And we're going, well, this isn't New Zealand, but hey. We'll take it. Yeah, we've we've got the gold medal. We've already won this. Like, we're defending it. Uh, Elia scoring a try there as well. And then I remember being in a scrum with, with Shano. The hooker always breaks left. Their captain, Hudiana, who also is like our Cheryl Soon. You know, she's advocated for, for New Zealand rugby for yeah, quite a some legend, time. Isn't she? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And you know, she scoots down the blind side. I'm going, oh, here we go. And Shano just splits is out of the scrum and tackles her over the sideline. And that was like the play moment. That was like we're we're on here. We've got this. So that was in that first half. And then we go into the second half. And yeah, I, I didn't play a lot of minutes into the Olympics because I was obviously coming back from injury and stuff, but. You know, those moments that I got to play were, were pretty amazing. And, you know, that second half was unreal. Like, it was 27-17, I think, the end, end result there was. But they did come back. Yeah. They came it, back in that second it half. Was, it was a bit sort of nervy there for a while. Yeah. And so that you, you see us. You can actually see the reaction in, in our faces when we're defending that gold medal because that gold medal is up on that post. No one can see my face right now, but, you know, the, the <laughs> smile on it, just thinking back to those moments, feels like such a long time ago now. Yeah. And, you know, you still, you still get to talk about it. It's over five years. Yeah. You know, but a gold medal's a gold medal. Yeah. So exactly. you know you've won it, you know, you win it. That moment is just, what's it like? Relief. <laughs> Actual relief, like, the final whistle goes, because they've also got, scored a couple of tries on us and people are... You can feel the crowd just sort of tensing a bit, yeah. but not us. Like, you look around, they score the try, and it's like, nah, next job, we got this. And you can feel the belief within the girls that, yeah, we've, we've got it. Even if they score another try, we've, you know, come so far that we've scored enough to, to secure it. And then once you win it, like, just everybody jumping on each other, like, trying to search for each other, you almost feel a little bit gumby because – You've got, like, all this emotion happening and you're, like, trying to find people and you're like, oh, come here. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I'm a hugger. Like, I love love giving hugs. So it was like, somebody come in because <laughs> I was so far away from people and then it was just everybody was hugging each other and, you know, we're running up to our parents, up into the stands, you know, looking for Mel, you know, seeing my parents there. It was, 
yeah, it was definitely a dream come true. It was pretty crazy. And then you get to sing the national anthem again, but this time with something around your neck. Well, it, t- it took me back right back to the 2000s of seeing Alison Nennon up on that dice. Like, for me to be standing there as the captain at the front as well as, as the leader, you know, like it was pretty crazy because we were like running back to go and put our tracksuits on after the game because it was pretty much straight away the medal presentation. And as I'm running back, one of the media guys has called me over and Matthew McConaughey's standing there. <laughs> and he's like, well done on winning gold. And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is crazy. And then, yeah, just running back in t- to get changed and we're all sweaty and we're just like chucking it on and singing our song and standing up on that dice. And then finally everyone's got their gold medal on and they're just lifting our hands above our heads and looking at our family. It's like it's the pinnacle of our sport. So the fact that we got a gold medal for the first time ever in rugby sevens for the first time in the, in the Olympics, is you know, no one can take that away from you. Mm. No, one, no one can take you being an Olympian away either. Like that's, that's a forever and it took me a while to, to understand that. Do you feel for the Kiwis at any stage? As I said, I felt, I felt for Portia Woodman, 100%. Like, that's hard, hard to have to deal with, like, the, you know, pretty heavy weight. Um, and I am a carer, so I'm friends with a lot of those girls. I played uh, a lot of footy alongside, or not alongside them, but against them. Mm. Um, so you see them every every tour that you go on. You see them in the dining hall. You, yeah, and when they have things gone, for example, when... Um, Battler had the fires, they really rallied around me and, and helped me out. So, as I said, at the end of the day, footy is footy and we're human beings. So, off that field, you're friends and you look after each other. And, like, that's a, something that you could use as a burden as well. Like, if you've knocked the ball on and then had to get sent off, you know, you think you've lost the game for your team. Mm. Um, and for such a huge tournament... Um, but that doesn't defy you, and I think that's that's what as athletes we need to understand is these moments don't define who we are, um, and that we probably you know, beat ourselves up quite a lot because that's our profession, right? Like we're professional athletes, and this is what you want to be winners. Yeah, and we've got a lot of people looking for out for us. Like we've got a lot of community members that rely on us to do our jobs, and when we don't do it, we get a serving, right? But at the end of the day, we're human beings and everybody fails. So I think we just need to be kinder to each other and that's probably why I do feel for for New Zealand. But they have had their fair share of wins, so yeah. it's quite nice to um, actually have the Aussies winning a bit. Absolutely. So we move forward to Tokyo and we also move forward to just the work you do just by being you. That is being a carer, being someone who, you know, gets it. You know, it's, you're an athlete for a certain amount of time, but you're also a, you know, a great friend and someone that can change people's lives. What was it like the second time round with Tokyo in the lead up to that? Did you learn a lot from Rio to make that easier? Was it harder? Obviously, the squad was very different. Yeah, I mean, there's so many uncontrollable things, and there is in life. But you know, obviously, the postponement of the Olympics was was pretty hard. You know, getting on in my career, it was. What does family look like for me as well? You know, I want to have a, a baby at some point. Mel and I want to be parents together. We've already got our two two stepkids, but, you know, I just think that that's such a beautiful thing that females can do and that it's something to experience and, and bring another life in into the world. So I want to be able to experience that. And that was about timing and things like that. Once you're retired, you're retired. There's no real going back and the game's getting faster and there's a lot more younger kids coming through and I didn't want to take a position away from a younger kid to be able to flourish and and earn their sport. But it's also my time too, so I can't be, you know, I have to be selfish sometimes. I remember talking to you in the lead up to the Olympics and you were actually leading a lot of the challenges, like the exercise Mm -hmm. challenge. You were doing personal bests in you were working so hard on your physical fitness that you were letting the young girls know, hey, I'm the old bird mm. and I'm beating your ass, so let's go. 
Yeah. And I always loved that about you, that you weren't just, oh, well, this is my second Olympics. I've already won gold. I'm going to go to Tokyo. This is a bit of a farewell. You were like, I'm doing stuff that I didn't do at Rio. Yeah. I'm better and stronger. Yeah. And I, I guess I thought that that's probably what I didn't have in Rio, right? Because I come off an injury. So it was like, okay, I'm going to better myself. I'm going to be my purpose, back to my sole purpose is the best rugby player I can be. You know, I suffered another injury in 2008. You know, I did my syndesmosis, so my ankle um, was out of the Commonwealth Games. But I got still got my silver medal, which was great, after playing two games. But I think that's where the drive is. Okay, next challenge. What is it? All right, there's another Olympics. And I have been to, another, to an Olympics, and I've got my friends still here. I've got my Rio girls. But I need to look after these younger girls coming through as well because... You know, we're getting girls out of straight out of school, 17 years old. Like, they've got no life skills, no life experience. Mum and dad have been doing everything for them, and it's like, hey, move to Sydney and survive. But as you were saying, is like with my you know, personal best and things like that, that was my challenge. Mm. It was like, okay, what, do, what does the old girl Shani look like? <laughs> you know, these young girls are coming through, but I'm going to make you know that, yeah, I'm here. I'm here for the right reasons. I need to earn respect from them and show that I have respect for them as well because that's how you create that good culture within a team. Mm. But then you see divide, right? So then you've got the young girls and the old girls and I was never that person. I always wanted to to be that middle person to go, hey, we all need to, to get on here. And I guess, yeah, with that p- postponement, you start to see that some of the older girls obviously leave for those reasons. I need to go and have my family or my body's not cut out for it anymore or my mind's just not here for another Olympics because it can be quite draining and take a toll on you. And I was never going to let that happen to me. Like my mindset was like, no, you're going to another one. I don't care how hard you have to push, you'll, you'll go there. As I said, that preparation for the next Olympics, we've got a new coach as well. We hadn't won underneath him. There's so much chat through the media and stuff about things. There were no good stories coming out about women's rugby you know, all the other women's teams are going forward, you know, AFLW, NRLW, you see all these stories, the cricketers, and we're sort of just stuck. There's, there's not much happening for us because, as I said, it, it's all based on performance. So unless you're performing, you're not really heard of, mm. which does, is... Does that surprise and upset you, though? Because you won an Olympic gold. Surely there can be some, you mm. know, some good stories about the young players coming through and the freshening up of the squad like that's a decision someone makes in news to go uh we're going to focus more on the Matildas or the cricketers who were winning world cups and and that's the thing I love about being an Aussie sports lover like the last 10 years the girls are just killing it yeah the most successful sides are the girls in all the sports yeah yeah 100% Tokyo itself after Rio you know it was shattering you know it was just like what was that like that for you? Yeah, definitely. You know, like, obviously you had expectations of at least being on the podium. You know, um, if it wasn't gold, it was going to be a medal. And that probably, yeah, hit me pretty hard. And it probably didn't hit me until I was around family. Until I got home to Mel and went, oh, God, like, became fifth. We didn't even podium. We, what, what the hell, what happened? And then I started putting pieces together and, and sort of seeing how the culture was and opening up to, to that sort of stuff and went, oh, not necessarily that the culture was bad. It's not bad at all. It's just little bits and pieces of, of how people were acting that probably should, weren't professional, weren't to, to the standards of what I would expect. So what about stuff outside of footy for you? You know, because there's a lot going on there too. Like, you're going to get married to Mel. <laughs> at <laughs> some you, point. <laughs> yeah, like, I was saying, like, at, at some stage you've got to walk down the aisle. We're, we're looking forward to the party. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> It'll be pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't set a date, obviously. We've we've talked about a lot of things, songs and dancing. I'm not a dancer. Who the, MC, who the MC's going to well, be? Well, I, I was looking across the, the <laughs> table there, mate. It's looking pretty good for me. I can come up with a really good, really good rate for you. No <laughs> and then community. Community is my, my friend. Like I'm with Slow Coach, so I do a lot of a lot of coaching through them, working at F45 and just trying to help people better themselves and charities like your running, Got You For Life. You know. But, yeah, as I said, just getting around the community and trying to, to find my niche of, of what's next. Where's the um, gold medal? Man, 
again. Mate, because you're a disgrace. Let's just be absolutely honest about this. Banging around in your car for so long, chipped. Has it been repainted? No, it's still a camera mint, mate. <laughs> glove box. How long did it live in the glove box? Well, it was in a sock, mate. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's the whole reason behind that was it's a community medal. Like, yeah, it might be my only gold medal. Well, it will be. But the thing was is that only Olympic gold. Like, there could well, be Commonwealth yeah. gold. Coming. True, yeah. true that. <laughs> yes, nice, good pick up. <laughs> um, is that it's a community medal, right? We can't go away to. The Olympics. We can't have the Olympics without taxpayers' money, without the support of community volunteers, referees, you know, organisations, support. You know, that's one of the reasons why I love just having in the glove box. <laughs> you know, lock it up. People don't know my Red Joe number. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's to, you know, sometimes like, you know, whip it out and be like, here you go, have you seen a gold medal before? You know, oh, it's heavy. You know, yeah. Just having those conversations with people because they might not ever get to see one. And I sure as hell didn't think that I would get one. So I think it's special to be able to share that. I agree with you. And it's at the mint now, just for people to know, <laughs> it's getting a little bit of a re-coating <laughs> yeah. of the gold. Yeah, so there's like a couple of like green dots and stuff on it. So we had to sort of check out what that was. The Rio Mint is actually shut down, so we couldn't figure out what metal that was. We'd sent it to a number of jewellers and... They couldn't do things, so it's at the Canberra Mint trying to get recoded and we'll see how we go. I've sent a number of emails, so we'll Fingers see. Crossed. Let's let's hope we get it back, and when we get it back, it'll be back out in the community. Perfect, beautiful. <laughs> now let's um, talk briefly about pride in sport and what it means to you being a leader within that. What, is, what does that mean to you? What sort of legacy would you like to leave the sport with around you know same sex and all that type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's it's come off the back of my headgear, right? And that was huge to team up with Gilbert and, and create something like that. You know, the Mardi Gras, there was the first time that they had brought out a Gilbert rainbow ball. And I sort of said, well, you'd make a headgear in that. You've got the print, you've got the colour, let's do it. And they went, yeah, for sure, let's go. So we're in chats with that to see if we can get that on the shelves. Great. And hopefully that... That'll be, you know, another piece of visibility for these kids to go out and wear the headgear. Yeah, diversity, whoever you are, you know, like you see a rainbow and you're just happy. And it's also protective, right? It, it doesn't protect concussion, but it, it protects any cuts and bruises and things like that to just help those kids be able to use their technique. And, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% about that as well because it gives those mothers a bit of protection and to get these young girls out playing playing footy off the back of that headgear was Pride and Sport sort of reached out and I'd done a little bit here and there but I hadn't been known as out. So when they'd done the Olympics in Rio, I hadn't been put into the list as a gay athlete. With this time round, they really went hard on it and they're like, Shani Williams is in as a gay athlete and I took some pride in that. Like, yeah, you know, there's so many more athletes that could have been on that board. You know, the sponsorship side of things as well. It's like, well, we're not going to sponsor you because you're that way. So I don't want that to be the case. I want to sponsor us people like our rainbow people need to be supported. Um, Do you think we're getting better? Are we moving in the right direction? Are we moving quick enough in your, your eyes? I don't think we're moving quick enough. I think we're moving. But it's the same if you talk about women's sport too, right? is that took so long. Like, women have been playing rugby since 1939 or something like that. Finally, in 2014, we became professional. And it wasn't in the 15s game, it's in the 7s game. You look at some of the pride rounds as well, and they're amazing. Amazing to have pride rounds, but what else are you doing in your company? Yep, you might be just visible for that month, and that's it. What's your policy look like? What's your count in your company? If you've got gay people in your company to be able to go to and, and talk to and ask opinions of that have had experiences or are you using the sports index and then finding out how you compare to other sports as well. So I think that's, yeah, that's definitely something that, you know, I thought was pretty scary because I was like, oh, I'm going on a board. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm growing up here. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about making change in sport. I love that. Shani, <laughs> fast five questions. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Have you got a quote or a saying that you live your life by? Is there something that you just go, oh, that makes sense for me? Yep. Michael Jordan. Yep. Never say never because limits like fears are often just illusions. Oh, I love that. Have you got a favourite holiday destination? Holiday destination. There's no rugby or working out. This is yeah. like chilling. I was time. like, what's a holiday, yeah. mate? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Longest I've had off was Tokyo. After <laughs> Tokyo. <laughs> holiday destination. Anywhere by the beach. I live by the beach, so Daydream Island. That yeah. was pretty great. Nice. Went up there. Near Mackay, so Mel will be happy with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere the company is the most important well, thing for me, you know. Like yeah, for sure. You put me in the best place in the world. If I'm by myself, I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. I need my, my, my tribe. <laughs> I need my tribe. village. Yeah. Um, are you a reader? Have you got a favourite book? I don't have a favourite book. I read quite a lot. I'm reading Green Light at the moment by Matthew McConaughey. So that's been pretty, well, he, pretty amazing. He's your boyfriend from Rio. Well, yeah, Rio, from so. Rio. So, <laughs> hello. <laughs> You're looking um, for the piece where he goes, oh, this is Shani, really. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I got to say hello to Shani. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's not in there. Okay. <laughs> but I can relate a lot to, to what he went through, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Favourite movie? Oh, uh, <laughs> I have to say Home Alone or <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but Home Alone 1, absolutely love that. Kevin! Chris, Kevin! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Or when he has the aftershave. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> he was a huge part of our life, wasn't he, yeah, growing up? for That's sure. Brilliant. And your favourite charity and who you'd like oh. to donate the 10K to from Shore and Partners. Got you for life, a hundred percent. You know, not just because of you, but because of what you guys are about, your values, your beliefs. For that hour row, I did fourteen point four k's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just just the way that you rally around the community and provide the tools and help people benefit in life. I think it's really important. There's a lot of suicide in the world, and especially on the northern beaches, it's been pretty crazy since I've moved here and. Mm think it's really important yeah well thank you and you know just think about every 40 dollars of that 10 grand is another mm -hmm. person that can sit in a workshop and that could really help save someone's life or you know that a facilitator going out into a community that's two and a half grand that's a week in the in the community out in the country with five or six you know facilitators are there imagine how many kids might just get that little spark that allows them to move forward so it means a lot, Charlie. Yeah, well, it's that visibility piece once again. We've spoken about that quite a lot. And as I said, providing those tools for them. Like you don't – yes, there's the internet these days, but you, when you're face-to-face, -face, you learn so much more. Being able to get out and, and get into those communities that are less fortunate to um, provide those resources is, is really important. But, Charlie, look, you've got so much on the next <laughs> couple of years, you know, with World Cups – sevens 15s commonwealth games as well as setting a date setting a date yes you know? can't forget think that. of mill think of mill see once you give her a date then she can start planning yeah. right? even if it's a couple of years in advance but uh well she is studying to be a celebrant so um. well she might be able to marry you as <laughs> yeah. well no that's not happening <laughs> look thanks so much for your time and for being so beautiful today so mm. thank you thank you gussie a big thank you to Shaw and Partners Financial Services who have generously supported this podcast and also donated $10,000 to the charity of choice of each of our guests to thank them for their time. Shaw and Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice. With seven offices around Australia, Shaw and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. For more info, you can check out their website at shawandpartners.com.au. That's S-H-A-W for sure. Shaw and Partners Financial Services, your partners in building and preserving wealth.